Hey, lamp. Hey, computer monitor. Hey, empty picture frame of painful memories. This is so much better when Scott's here. Coming to you almost live from the crushing reality of loneliness, this is The Unknown Studio, and I am your solo host, Adam, for this episode. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys know this, but last year, around this time, Scott got married to his beautiful fiance, who is now his beautiful wife, Anita Bourgeois. And at the time, they uh, decided to do just a little small honeymoon thing in the town of Jasper. But... Now, a year later, they decided it would be better to get on a boat in the Mediterranean and tool around the sea like a bunch of heroic, vacationing, buffeting sailors. And they've left me here to my own devices in this pad of loneliness. But it's okay, it's okay. I mean, we still have an episode for you, even though Scott was not available to record. Uh, this will be something like a clip show, but it's not one of those clip shows where it's all, you know, old, recycled content. This episode, I've actually gone out and talked to a whole bunch of people around the city of Edmonton who are doing interesting things, because that, that, my friends, that very thing, the thing that I'm about to mention is what this show is all about. Let's start things off with a a nerdy, geeky activity that is very near and dear to my heart and near and dear to Scott's heart as well, and that is the first annual Edmonton Expo. Uh, I spent some time on the phone with uh, the Calgary Expo organizer, Kendrick Fung, and we talked a little bit about why he and his group of ragtag, geek-tacular people are bringing an expo to the city of Edmonton. I mean, I think that most of our listeners would agree that it's about time, but, well, let's listen to uh, Kendricks and find out what's in store for people this weekend. So you've been running the Calgary Expo for some number of years, and you finally decided... Sorry, I shouldn't say finally. That, that didn't sound right. You have decided to bring it to Edmonton, and what was the reason for that? Uh, well, there's a couple different reasons, you know, like, Edmonton is, is obviously like our neighboring city and, and so forth, and, and uh, we definitely knew that we were bringing a lot of people out of Edmonton, you know, to come to the Calgary show as we, you know, started growing it more and more, um, and it just kind of made sense for us to, to just jump into, like, another market that was, you know, close for us, and, and, you know, we feel that we can actually do something in Edmonton that's pretty cool that can draw a lot of people from Calgary to come up, too. That's great. And you guys were doing the uh, the toy and, and uh, sorry, correct me on the name of it. You were doing something in Edmonton before you brought Edmonton Expo up here. Is that right? Right. Uh, well, to be 100% accurate is uh, there's another show called the Edmonton Collectible Toy and Comic Show. Uh, and that show was run by Shane Turgeon, right? So the two of us have been friends for many, many years before we even started doing show stuff, right? Uh, and his show was traditionally in March. So 
lot of the times what would happen is we would just talk about, you know, very general show stuff, like, oh, how do you deal with this, and how do you deal with that, right? Um, and he's been asking if I'd be interested in, in, you know, helping out more and jumping into, like, the MSIP market a little bit. And I always, I always told him, it's like one of the biggest issues is if the show is in March, I can't do it because our show is traditionally in April, right? Just a little bit too close. And the Calgary event, obviously, is like our, our, our big baby right now that we have to put a lot of, you know, manpower and effort into. Um, so earlier this year, we started talking a little bit more about things again. And, and uh, there was an opportunity for us to start up the show uh, in, in October. Um, and that just made perfect sense because now we're six months out from the Calgary show. So, you know, as we're like, we are gearing up for Calgary, but we're not heavy into things right now. Um, so with Edmonton, it just kind of made sense to kind of keep things, you know, keep everybody going, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Now, given that you can sort of run these two shows throughout the year without, without little lulls in the season, does it make it easier or more challenging to find guests uh, for to, to to vary the shows enough, find guests that are different. Uh, I definitely think that there's there are some challenges, you know, like definitely changing up the different guests and so forth. Because when we talked about this as an overall concept, it was never about hey, let's just bring this show, you know, from one city to the next, right? The idea is you want to have quite a bit of difference to it, um, and it's not like a something like say a Hope and Garden show, right? Which is you know it's the same show that's essentially traveling around. Uh, or like a circus or whatever. You want to have it where you can bring in people from another city that already have a Comic-Con, right? Like, how can I develop the show well enough that I can bring somebody in from, you know, Toronto, for example, or, you know, Seattle or whatever to come check out what it is that we're doing. Um, so it is definitely very important for us to kind of build, like, a proper guest mix. And because of the proximity with uh, with Halloween, with the Epson show, is I definitely think that we can start building more horror components into it. Yeah. Uh, and with the Edmonton crowd, for example, is we would be able to bring in some other stuff like our, our, you know, our noir and foobar and so forth, like a little bit more of that horror metal slash punk type of, of uh, genre. And I think it would do really, really, really well in Edmonton. So the the two definitely have different sorts of flavors. Are you are you guys talking about varying the uh, the branding even because you've got uh, uh, Kate down in Calgary? Have you thought of something else for Edmonton? Uh, Kate. Sorry, I'm sorry, Emily. Emily, I'm I'm mixing things up with uh, the now dead Klondike days here in Edmonton. But yeah, I, I think you know there's there's a possibility of us doing a little bit of differences with the branding and so forth, but. I mean, I definitely do kind of think of it as a Starbucks approach, right? So it's it's been a bit of a double-edged sword for us because a lot of people that, you know, came to the Calgary show are like, oh, my God, this is going to be this massive show. And it's like, whoa, whoa, hold on a sec. This is a first-year show. And if you look, right, the amount of guests that we have is obviously a lot less than, you know, what we have in Calgary. The space that we have is a lot less in Calgary. And people are expecting this first-year show, or a lot of people are thinking this first-year show is going to compete with what Calgary was this year, and which is kind of a bad assumption. Um, what it really is is going to be it's more equivalent to like what the Calgary show was in its third year, right? Where we had some stuff that was developed, you know, we're still learning a bunch of different things. Um, with regards to like the overall branding, you know, we felt it would be stronger if we were saying like, hey, it's the same guys that are bringing you the Calgary show that are doing the show in Edmonton. Because sure. right? I think that, that we have a pretty strong reputation in terms of at least being able to bring in different guests and, and, you know, making the show like a, a pretty good show. Um, not to say that we're perfect. We obviously have a lot of stuff that we have to improve on as with, you know, anything, right? Um, but I, I think that was definitely like the way to go for us. We've seen a lot of other shows kind of crop up in North America 
said, like not just locally or anything, that, that kind of talk pretty big, like we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And then, you know, fans go to the show and they're like, wow, this is like a hotel with like four rooms. <laughs> doesn't make any sense, right? Um, and, and this is where we definitely felt it was a lot you know, more beneficial for us to tie the two events together to the same company. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and like you said, you're trying to you're trying to build something something new here that is unique to the market. So it's it sounds really exciting. Are you are you feeling uh, are you feeling the crunch yet? <laughs> we always feel the crunch. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. You know, for us for planning and so forth on, on so many different levels, and and a lot of people just don't really understand like how. Uh, how involved it actually is, right, from from everything. Like, you have to understand how to market it properly. You have to schedule things properly. You have to organize things properly. Um, you have to have an idea of, like, how you want to, like, grow the show as a, you know, like, short-term versus long-term and so forth. Uh, and we've had some people just think, like, oh, you just throw this thing together, like, you know, in a couple weeks, right? It's like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> it's not easy at all. And we have people even ask us the same question with a Calgary show. Like, even our volunteer, you know, numbers are, are crazy. Like, for the Calgary show, we had 1,200 volunteers, Wow. right? So, you know, if you're in charge of volunteers, that's 1,200 people you have to schedule and communicate, double-check things with, and, and, and whatnot. Like, that in itself is a massive project, right? Yeah. So... You know, people that think this, this stuff comes together like when you snap your fingers or if there's a, a special button on my keyboard that says, you know, convention appear, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'm sure that technology is being developed. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. It's, it's coming, it's coming. It's kind of like the lens flare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, have, uh, how have Edmontonians responded to this new expo? Um, are, they, are they buying tickets in droves? Uh, yeah, I think it's quite strong, you know, like... Uh, again, I have to compare everything to our, our year three of Calgary, right? And it's definitely uh, ahead of what Calgary was. You know, we're sold out for exhibit space. Uh, we, um, our, 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 I guess you could say our mass marketing just started taking effect maybe about a week or so ago, like with television and radio and so forth. Yeah. Uh, and like, there's pretty much two trains of thoughts, right? Uh, with the way that we market the show. Number one is we just want to inform you know, I guess like the hardcore fans, because those are the guys that are going to come out anyways. Uh, but the other trick is to get like the casual fans to actually come out to the show, right? So it's the people that, I know what Star Trek is, you know, I know what Batman is, but they couldn't tell you who the latest, you know, what, who the latest actor is or what this current story arc in the comic books are. Yeah. Like, it's definitely about getting the, the mainstream people to kind of check this stuff out and hopefully they turn into comic book fans, which is definitely like a, a strategy that we employ with the Calgary show, right? Is if I can get you to come in because you're a Star Trek fan, let's say, and if I could introduce you to something else like, let's say, comic book art, right, then, you know, hopefully I turn you into a, a better, bigger, you know, stronger fan. That's that's great. You're you're developing legions of of new geeks, and I love that idea. Is there any uh, are there any surprise guests that you guys are going to be announcing soon that we should hold our breath for? I mean, you've got a terrific lineup already. Um, no, un, you know, uh, unfortunately, there's no hidden guests. You know, everybody that's coming onto the show is is up on the site right now. Um, uh, and, and again, like I said, you know, like with Calgary, we have at least luxury of, of, you know, putting in like a hidden guest here and there if we, if we really wanted to or needed to, um, because we know that we're going to get enough people coming out to the show regardless. But right now it's just, it's too early for that. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's really exciting. And I'm, I have to say, I'm very much looking forward to the event. Uh, it takes place two weekends from now that's on October 20th and 21st. Is that right? That's correct. 
Right on. Well, best of luck with the first Edmonton Expo, Kendricks, and thank you for speaking with me today. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The Edmonton Expo is taking place at the Northlands Expo Center this weekend, October 20th and 21st. You'll have your chance to maybe meet Billy D. Williams, Wayne Gladstone, and the very beautiful and talented Nichelle Nichols. The Edmonton Expo isn't the only thing that's taking place in Edmonton this coming weekend. We also have a little event that has gained quite a bit of publicity over the last few months. It's called Extra Life, and it's a fundraiser for, well, you know what? I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to let one of the co-organizers, Matthew Dykstra, uh, explain to you what Extra Life is all about. I spoke with him at Transcend Coffee earlier this week. So tell me about how Extra Life Edmonton uh, got started. Absolutely. I mean, for, for us, uh, this all started last year. Uh, Raman Ostad and myself essentially started having a conversation about how in, in high school we always got into fundraising activities. The school got us raising funds for different things. And when we got out of high school, it was like, do, do, do we do that again? Do we raise funds for, for something? So we started talking about wanting to do a charity drive for the children's hospital somehow. But we really wanted to link it back to our passion for video games, which is what, you know, as friends, that's all we, all we do together is just play video games and stuff. So when we started looking into it, we knew that the biggest gaming charity kind of known is Child's Play, which is run by the Penny Arcade guys uh, in the States. Uh, and when we did some more research, what we found out is that uh, Child's Play actually only supports the, the Calgary Children's Hospital in Alberta. They actually don't support the Stollery. Uh, so we did, did some more research and we came across Extra Life, which we hadn't even uh, heard about. This was all new to us at, the, at this point. And uh, we found out that it started uh, after 2008. Uh, it was a, uh, a little girl named Victoria Enmon who was uh, diagnosed with leukemia. And she was actually a huge gamer. She played games right up to some of her final days. Uh, and she died in 2008. And Extra Life grew out of that as a 24-hour video game marathon to support children's hospitals uh, via the Children's Miracle Network across North America. Well, that's really, that's really amazing. And, uh, and I guess my question is, a 24-hour gaming marathon, we're not talking about like necessarily a LAN party, are we? Like, What exactly takes place? Uh, well, what, what we're doing is we actually want to get uh, Edmonton gamers all in a room together. Everyone who's sharing the same passion I mean, people play games online with each other all the time, but it's not the same thing as actually getting together in a room and, and sharing that experience. Uh, so what, what we ended up doing last year was about a, a month before Extra Life, at the, I think it was October 18th last year, uh, we were like, okay, we, we, we do want to do this. This is something that we want to pursue. And it was uh, six of us. It was myself, Raman Ostad, Corey Sadamo, Anthony Backus, Chow Nago, and Kyle Yusinski. Just six of us. Uh, we, we signed up for the website, and we started kind of co uh, contacting the Stollery and EB Games, being like, oh, can we get some support? There's, there's six, uh, six of us, could be more, that want to get together. And the unanimous response we got was, it's two weeks away. You should have called us months ago. So, so this time, you decided to get your shit together. P pretty much. That, that's kind of how it evolved from there. So we, we, uh, uh, before our event last year, we'd contacted Carolyn McKenzie from the uh, Children's Miracle Network representative at the Stollery uh, uh, Children's Hospital Foundation. And that was kind of her same response here was like, guys, this is great, but we, we don't have the time or prep time to, to actually help you. And so it was like, okay, that's fine. We're going to kind of do it ourselves. So we connected with uh, 
with uh, Fluic, and they let us lose, lose use some of their space. Uh, we moved in there. We ended up raising uh, three grand with just six of us. And after that, we kind of just sat around and were like, that was awesome. That was just six of us, $3,000. How can we how can we really do this next year? How can we take Extra Life 2012 to the next level and actually get everybody we know involved and and wanting to participate in this? So those discussions actually started uh, far far earlier this year, around the time that they actually should have. Uh, so we, we we actually sat down and had a meeting with uh, Carolyn, who had actually just this was I think was in. Uh, Late April, early May, she had just come back from uh, a Children's Miracle Network conference in Toronto where they touted Extra Life as the next big fundraiser for Canada. It had grown 400% between 2010 and 2011, kind of showing that the, the, the time that Raman and I first found out about this was kind of along with rest of, the rest of Canada. Everyone kind of started to pick up on this last year at the same time. And where else in Canada has this happened? Uh, we know that there's groups in uh, uh, Vancouver participating. Uh, there's a lot in Eastern Canada as, as well. Uh, I know when we started uh, touting our event, I was getting uh, emails from people in Manitoba and even as far as... I had a guy in, uh, in Missouri. Uh, it was weird. Post on our Facebook page being like, where's the Missouri event? Being, <laughs> I was like, we're not... We're Edmonton. Like, uh, We're just doing this locally. So th- uh, they're being held across Canada and... Uh, what we know right now with, with our group is that uh, due to our, our efforts in trying to get, get people aware of the event and signed up and, and uh, uh, together for this event, that we are number one in Canada. We have, uh, there's over $23,000 raised for the Stollery Children's Hospital from teams uh, all over Alberta. Our specific team is uh, over 11,500 raised. So just, just the Edmonton group that we've gotten together is half that for, for, for Alberta, but it's making that the Stollery in Edmonton number one. That's incredible. And, and you, you raised six grand last year. You're already well over that this year. Do you guys have a specific goal in mind for this year? Absolutely. Like I, when, when we were setting that, I, was, I set $25,000. And I, I, I wasn't sure if that was being too ambitious or, or what, we would, uh, what we would make at that point. Uh, but we're doing really well. And uh, one of the things that's really going to help us going into this Saturday's event, which is actually when the, the marathon is taking place, is... Uh, uh, the silent auction items. Essentially, every tech or nerd game kind of uh, affiliated business or company in Edmonton we contacted uh, when we were planning this to try to help us raise funds be- beyond just people wanting to uh, game for the 24 hours because not everyone's a gamer, and we get that. Uh, so we want to offer something back that uh, other people might want to uh, participate in that way. So the silent auction's a, a, a good thing for that, for sure. Uh, should I go into more on what, what we have? Yeah, no, I'd love to hear. Like, I'm assuming they're extremely nerdy and therefore very fascinating to the people who listen to the podcast. Absolutely. For me, the big one when we set out to do this was we need Bioware support because Bioware is really kind of the face of game development in Edmonton specifically. Edmonton has lots of uh, smaller startups and smaller companies working on iOS games and stuff like that, but Bioware is really that, that big name that everybody knows or everyone's... Uh, played or heard of a game, uh, you know, by them. <clears throat> so we started talking with uh, Chris Priestley, the community manager, and uh, he, he loved it. He loved the idea of, uh, of actually participating in that way because Bioware was big supporters of, not only is, is the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation their official uh, charity of choice, but they were supporting them through the Cotton Club, 
which is kind of, I've never been to this event, but it's kind of like a ballroom kind of gathering of a lot of the larger companies in the city. And they were kind of looking, I don't want to say to, to, get, to get away from that, but they were looking to do something a bit more, you know, gaming tech focused to raise money. So Extra Life was right up their alley. Uh, so they agreed uh, right away to supply us with a boatload of silent auction items and just rare signed copies of, uh, of collector's editions of their games, uh, art books. I've got some giant framed uh, lithographs from Mass Effect uh, 2, Mass Effect 3, as well as Dragon Age 2. And some of them are just amazing, Adam. Like, I've, like are you, you going to come by the van? Because you've got to see some of these things. Well, geez, I don't know. I have, I have to. I feel like I have to make time in my schedule. And that was going to be my next question is, where is this all taking place? And, uh, and uh, when can people come by and check things out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the marathon is officially October 20th to 21st. Uh, it's going to be held at the Startup Edmonton uh, headquarters, which is the third floor of the Mercer Warehouse. You forgive me if I forget the exact address. It's on 103rd Avenue and 104th Street. Yes, yeah, that, that's a pretty. That, those are good coordinates. Now, now, uh, just a quick question: Was that location chosen because it sits above a bar? Is that was that a factor? <laughs> it was definitely uh, something that we uh, were overjoyed to discover when uh, when we started planning this event. But no, uh, we had actually uh, contacted Logan Foster from Game Camp Edmonton to start kind of getting the train rolling and just asking him, who do we need to contact? Who should we be, be talking to about this event? And he's like, well, come, come to uh, Game Pub, which is, uh, have you been to Game Pub? I'm not even sure. Uh, it's kind of a, a gathering of Edmonton's tech community at, at Startup Edmonton, where they do presentations on what projects they're working on, and they go down and have beers after. So we came to, to Game Pub, and in the middle of our presentation, Ken Batista from Startup, uh, we were like, no, we, we don't have a venue yet. And right in the middle, Ken was just like, you can do it here. Like, do you want to do it here? And so we were like, yeah. Uh, breaking news, everybody. Uh, Extra Life Edmonton will now be held right where you're sitting listening to it. Uh, so everyone was pretty happy about that. And, and uh, uh, we were t overjoyed, too, because that space is beautiful. Like, they're... they're uh, they, they have so much uh, room, and it's just a really, really neat environment uh, for, for, for this sort of thing. So Startup was a very, very good match for, for our event, we think. Yeah. Now, how many, uh, to your knowledge, as of this interview, which happened, by the way, about four days before the event, um, to your knowledge, how many other gamers are participating on Saturday? Uh, b beyond our team, or okay. Like, so no, I mean, I mean, Ed in Edmonton, because I know there's four organizers, and then a bunch of other people, and I just want to know the numbers. No, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so it's uh, myself, Raman Ostad, Chris Smith, and Eddie Gotts who are, are organizing it. So there's us four. Uh, from our Facebook replies to our event, we know there's at least 40 other gamers from the city uh, coming to the event. There's about uh, 42, 43 people signed up doing the marathon uh, on our team. Uh, some of them might not come out. I know one of the teams said that they're actually, the, the four of them are just going to get together at a friend's house and do the 24 hours there, but they're still going to swing by and do, like, look at the silent auction and stuff. So we're, we're expecting a pretty, a pretty decent turnout compared to, compared to last year. At least uh, we're hoping 50 people. That, that's amazing. That is amazing. And, uh, and the, only, the only issue, I guess, is uh, that it, it's taking place the same weekend as the Edmonton Expo. But who could possibly have known that? No, we, to be honest, we tried to get away from that because we didn't want to. We know that this weekend is going to be a big weekend for the, the nerd core in, in Edmonton. And uh, uh, we, we tried to host it um, 
the week prior, but TEDx Edmonton was was at the space at startup, which t TEDx I mean is awesome in in itself as well. So we 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 uh, did uh, choose the twentieth. We're hoping as many people can make it out uh, in, in spite of the expo as well. I think I might actually swing by the expo a little bit Sunday morning because I, I got tickets as well. <laughs> but uh, uh, we, we think it's a, kind of a good thing to kind of tie together that entire weekend. If you're interested in the expo, you can still go all day and then come to Extra Life. We're actually running the event. Uh, doors open 11 a.m. Saturday morning, and it's going to go right to 7 p.m. Sunday night when we announce uh, our final total raised as well as uh, the winners of all the silent auction items. Uh, uh, the tournament winners as well. Uh, we're having tournaments for Marvel vs. Capcom 3, NHL 13, because lockout, what WTF, right? Uh, as well as, uh, what's the last game? Oh, of course, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, just because it's the, the shooter of choice for a lot of people online, so we're going to do a tournament for, for there as well. But, uh, yeah, we think it's really going to tie together this, the, this weekend really well with a lot of the other things that are going on. No, it sounds terrific. Um, now, just a couple more questions, because I know that uh, your iPad is dying. It said 10% left, and it's tragic. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that the idea is that you sit there and play games for 24 hours. You don't play one game for 24 hours, but you can jump in between stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, people are doing a, a few different things. Now, we don't want to put the pressure on people that you need to do it 24 hours straight. Uh, you have the option of finishing your entire 24 hours uh, in the week prior or after the, the event. And just coming, if you want, for a few hours uh, to the event and gaming with everybody, that's uh, pretty much okay. I know myself, over the summer, I accumulated a stack of, I'd say, 12 games that I've purchased maybe played an hour and a half of and then shelved and that's really shameful for me that's extremely shameful so i i kind of take extra life as an opportunity to, uh, uh, to finish some of those games while doing something uh, very good that makes you very proud to be a part of this event and personally i've raised over four hundred dollars there's a lot of other uh, uh, fundraisers who've gone above and beyond that total the, uh, uh, to to get us where where we need to go and uh, uh, I'm, really, I'm really happy with that. Uh, some of the other stuff that other participants are doing, uh, I think Kyle Yasinski had the best idea by letting his donors choose which game he gets to play for, for the first set of 24 hours. And it was hilarious because immediately after he said that, his girlfriend started a Facebook event, Make My Boyfriend Play Teletubbies for 24 Hours. And it went, it went, it went crazy. So... Uh, uh, it's not in the lead quite yet, so currently Kyle's going to be playing Amnesia, The Dark Descent, which is uh, 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 said by some to be one of the scariest games ever, ever made. Uh, he's going to be playing that all, all the way through, and then he probably has to move on to Teletubbies, is, is going to be his plan. That's terrible. I, I feel really bad for him, but I think he'll do really well. Now, if people want to donate to you or any of the other people in Edmonton, where can they go? Uh, where they're going to want to go to is uh, uh, www extra-life.org slash team slash yeg y-e-g x tra life so the actual x uh, instead of e-x so uh, y-e-g x-t-r-a-l-i-f and, and we'll have a link to that uh, on our website associated with the episode um, Matt it sounds like a great event I wish you all the best and I hope you guys far exceed your goals for this dollar absolutely we're, we're looking forward to it for sure thanks Adam
If you're interested in participating in Extra Life or checking out what's going on on October's 20th and 21st, go to our website. We've got a link to the Extra Life Edmonton homepage. Finally, I'm going to end this episode with a great interview that I did with a former guest, actually. Um, Ryan Rowe was on the Unknown Studio a couple seasons ago, where Scott and I spoke with him about, I guess you'd call it amateur wrestling. And we found out in that interview that not only was Ryan into amateur wrestling, at the time he was also in a band. And now Ryan has gone on to pursue his passion for music this summer he cut an album in a studio with some friends of his, and uh, I sat down with Ryan at Remedy on the South Side to find out what he's been up to. Yeah. I'm sitting here at Remedy uh, Cafe on the South Side with Ryan Rowe, and the last time we talked to you, Ryan, you were... Uh, we talked about wrestling, and, and, and you, were, you were still doing music on the side, and, and now... Things have changed, haven't they, a little bit? Well, I had a baby. That was a pretty big change. Yeah, I would say, I would definitely say so. And, uh, and you're also going to school now, and, and you're working on a, an education degree, right? Yep. And, uh, and in and around all that, you're also making music. So tell us a little bit about all the things going on and how the hell do you juggle everything? Apparently, I should have been a street performer because, you know, it's, it's going pretty well. Well, juggling everything is, is a challenge, man, but it's kind of the way life goes. It's either that or just keep waiting tables for the rest of my life. And I like waiting tables, but I want to have more time for my family. You know, uh, I want to have a job that allows me to make time for my daughter and make time for myself and make time for my wife and you know, just be able to have a, a good quality of life going forward and, and not be struggling for money or not able to make things because I got to work nights and weekends and so forth right so I mean that's basically it and got to work on school and things like that but you still got to find time for your passions I uh I think when you're 18 and you go to school and all you do is university it's doable but you know I'm a grown man with a wife and a family and and I just I just can't do that so finding time for all the school and then on trying to do a little bit of music on the side is, is challenging. I work two nights a week. My wife works three shifts a week. We alternate so we don't have to pay for childcare. And then I have class three days a week. And, you know, on top of all the reading that you do in a history and, and all those things and writing 3,000-word essays. So, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's tough right now, especially when you just want to nap because you're so damn tired. But you, but you did find the time to produce an album over the summer, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's the funny thing. Um, when we talked last, I had my hard rock band. And that fell apart uh, kind of last fall. And what happened was I did try and find a new lineup. Nothing with any of the band members. Uh, I, I love the people I played music with in that band, but just we kind of went our separate ways. And I tried to find a new lineup. And I got so frustrated. Um, just the amount of musicians who would email you or call you and then never get back to you again or fail to show up for auditions or just anything and I just I just said I'm you know what I've had it for a while I'm just going to focus on school it was either I'm going hard I'm finding people who are going to rehearse four times a week and we're going to hit the road we are going to do our best to make this or I'm going to focus on school and I just decided to focus on school because I just 
I got exhausted trying to beat, I was beating my head against the wall trying to find people. Mm -hmm. And I just said, enough. But I didn't want to give up music entirely because I've done that in my life before. There's been so many points in my life where shit's happened and it's meant that I've not really worked on music. So I said, you know what, I'll work on my solo stuff because while I always wrote those hard rock tunes, I also was writing kind of more just alternative, vaguely folkish, vaguely folkish alternative rock, you know, <laughs> whatever, to, uh, to use a Futurama quote. Uh, and I decided to focus on that. And what happened was my buddy up in Grand Prairie, he's been working on music for a long time, he does live sound, and he built a home studio a number of years ago. I do web design for him, I do other things, and we usually just kind of exchange services. And I said, well, you know, give me a few days in the studio. And we booked it for, in February, on reading break. I only had one class last February, so it was like, whatever. So I took a bus. I took a Greyhound bus up, I took a midnight bus to Grand Prairie, didn't get any sleep, we hopped into the studio. And I think we both kind of expected maybe to come out with, you know, a handful of songs, maybe some decent stuff. And we just, we really got into it, we really worked hard, we put in four straight days in the studio, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it was really like four days, 10 to 12 hours, and we busted our ass, and we really worked hard, and, um, you know, so my, my buddy played drums, I had another friend play most of the bass, and we came out of the album basically with this record of songs that I've written over the past 14 years, but never really been able to do anything with, again, for a whole other long reasons it's, it's I don't even know the story of why I, it hasn't happened is kind of silly but it just is um, and it sounded way better than I expected um, why what were you expecting it to sound like were you just I don't, I don't know I kind of figured maybe it just sound like some demo material or whatever and you know and I, I'm realistic obviously people who can go spend you know months in the studio and spend tons of money and have been you know constantly touring and working with professional uh, musicians, you know, are going to have whatever. But, you know, uh, the guy who did, you know, Nathaniel, who, who recorded and mixed the record, he's been working his ass off for a few years to make this thing happen. He's gotten pretty damn good, and I played better than I did, and my vocals turned out better than I expected. And while there's warts on the record, and maybe it's a step below, like, the super professional whatever, it's not some... There's the problem with the advent of being able to record so cheaply and easy is there's a million guys out there now who some guy has a pirated piece, pirated copy of Pro Tools and a microphone and people are like now I'm a producer and you've got all these really shitty recordings. I think this sounds really good and I'm very very happy with it. And when it kind of came out like that, it kind of was like wow this is really good. And, and I kind of decided it was kind of almost intended to just be like let's get these songs out, let's have some fun. And I'm like, you know what, I really think I'm going to focus on this material. It's a little bit more accessible than the hard stuff. It's catchy, it's melodic. I think people like it, that have heard it in the past. And I can play it by myself. I don't need to depend on any other musicians. I don't need to worry about finding a jam space. I don't need to arrange rehearsals. I can do all this material myself and acoustic guitar. Um, even though the record is a full band, mm -hmm. I can do all the stuff with an acoustic guitar, just me, and that means I can keep doing music on the side without having to worry about all this other crap that was just too much on top of everything else that we talked about that's going on. Yeah. You know, trying to rehearse, find two nights rehearsal and tracking three or four people. Like, it just, I can't do it right now. Yeah. And I had always kind of used this extra moniker called Holland Row for 
my, this material, you know, and I, I just kind of decided it was time to use my real name and just be like, this is, this is me, this is my music, this is my heart on my sleeve, and it's kind of scary to do music under your own name as opposed to hiding behind a band. It's scary to be on stage, just you and an acoustic guitar without drums and bass and, you know, layers of feedback and distortion to kind of escape into. It's very revealing and nervous, but I'm very, very happy with how things have turned out. And does that mean then that uh, you've cut this album and you're a busy guy, but you, are you going to be doing any shows around town? Is that the plan? Yeah, I'd like to... Uh, I just did one gig at New City a couple weeks ago, which was nice, and I haven't been pushing too hard for gigs, but I want to get into playing cafes and smaller bars and just get into that singer-songwriter kind of scene, for lack of a better word, um, you know, and just be able to play regularly and be able to become a better performer and a better entertainer and... You know, I, I'm pretty happy with what I can do. I can go on stage, I can play my songs, tell some stories, throw a few covers in there, and we, you know, threw a CCR cover in the other night, and that was a lot of fun. Nice. You know, it was good, and, and uh, yeah, I'd like to play regularly, I'd like to work on it. I think my ultimate goal is to hopefully try and, in the summertime, maybe not next year, maybe not even the year after, but try and get onto some of the, the different festivals in Alberta and some of the things like that. I, I believe in this music, and, you know, everyone can say, oh, whatever, of course you like it, and I think they're good tunes. Yeah. I'm not objective, obviously, but I think they're good tunes. I, I think this is some good music, and it's honest. I am honest to a fault, and the music is the same way, and I don't know what the trends are in music now. I, I know there's a lot of synth and dance stuff and whatever, and this is just rock music. It's what it is. It's guitar, bass, and drums. But I'm happy with that, and I think people still appreciate... I hope people still appreciate music that's sincere and genuine. I think they do. Um, I certainly do. And, and, I mean, if you go to festivals like uh, the Edmonton Folk Music Festival, just as an example, I think that's exactly what people are looking for at places like that, is that sort of genuine feel. People are up there playing music not because they want to make a pile of money, because, let's face it, unless you're the Rolling Stones, it's probably not going to happen. Um, but the, they're there for the love of the music. So I guess my next question is, do you have an end game, or is it just for the love? That is a weird question to ask, because, you know, who knows what will happen to a certain extent. What I would like to do is develop an audience that is interested in my music and I want to continue releasing music. I want to make, I don't want this to be the only record, I don't want it to be five years before the next record, and it probably won't be. Um, I want to play, I want to develop, I'd like my album to get X amount of attention, and that's not so I can get money off of or claim it, so I want to share this music with people. And I'd like enough people to be interested in it that it helps me to make more music. It, it's tough because a lot of people you know, you never know. I mean, some, some people say you should just give it all away for free when you're starting out. And the thing is, I've been doing that. And it doesn't necessarily... It hasn't added up to that many free downloads. So I figure, you know, I think if art's valuable, it should be worth something. Yeah. Sometimes I think as much as people want things for free, if it's free, they think it's not good. So, you know, I think it's better to have it on iTunes and have it on wherever and, and have CDs for sale and have tapes for sale and... You know, every bit of that money doesn't go to pay anything. It doesn't give me, it's not a salary. It just goes into hopefully making more music later and buying, pressing more CDs and pressing more of this and doing more of this. But my goal would be 
hopefully every year I record something. Maybe get an EP done, and then an album, EP, album. That would be great. For the next 10 years, I do EP, album, EP, album, and I just rotate, and I just keep promoting it and keep developing and keep getting more stuff out. I think that's great. Um, I don't have any ambitions of being on the road 250 days out of the year because A, it's very difficult to make a living that way, and B, I've thought up very long and hard about it, and I don't wish to be away from my family for that. Now, what's interesting when you say the end goal is that, of course, I'm in school and I'm taking an education degree. So let's say in three or four years I'm out of school, who knows how long before I find a job. This is why I'm minoring in French. <laughs> For uh, personal and pragmatic reasons. Sure. So let's say in five years I've got a teaching position. I've got Monday, Friday, 9 to 5 job. A little extracurricular with things. Well, I'm in a position then when I've got evenings free. Most, for the most part, I've got evenings free as opposed to working five nights a week. And I've got summers off and a reasonable amount of other days off. What I would like to do, basically, from that point is work my teaching job, spend time with my family, and then on the summer, if I could get out on the road for a couple weeks here, a couple weeks there, play some festivals, do a little string around BC and Alberta, play some cafes and things like that, that would be awesome. That would be fantastic because, let's face it, that would allow me to do that. Yeah. And... That's another big reason why I'm, I am in this crazy schedule I'm right now because I'm like, I've put it off, I've put it off for so long, I need to get this done because the faster I get this degree done, the more my life can actually allow room for both family and music. And that would be what I would love to do. Cool. Have you thought very much about um, the intersection of your music and uh, the degree that you're working towards and how you might bring the two together, or did I just blow your mind? You know, I really haven't. Um, I haven't at all, because to me, I'm, like, for instance, I'm not a classically trained musician, and if you go to U of A to get a music degree, right, it's classical music. If you want to teach it, you know, as far as I understand, that's basically what you get, you know, if you, and I'm not that guy. I'm a self-taught guitar player, and, and so on and so forth, but there is one way that's interesting that you do bring it up, is that I've introduced my daughter to Rafi, which is also kind of my reintroduction to Rafi. And one of the most mind-blowing things about it is realizing that he's really good. Yeah. A lot of kids' music is crap. It assumes kids are stupid. It assumes kids don't have any idea of quality. And it's kind of insulting. You know, Rafi's stuff is well-performed, well-written. He's an excellent folk musician. And even when he's doing songs like The More We Get Together, he just gives him this quality. It's just beautiful. And you watch, you know, on YouTube or on a DVD, you watch his shows, especially from the 70s and the 80s. And it's just him and a guitar. And there's this whole crowd of parents and kids who love every minute of it. And he's not talking down to the kids. Yeah. He's engaging them. And they get it. And they understand it. And I'm just like, right now I'm thinking the best thing that I could do as a musician and a father is learn, like, every Raffi song I possibly can. Like, just play along to everyone, learn everyone. So I can play them to my daughter, but honestly, I think it will make me a better musician. And could I maybe, maybe, maybe I can take that and actually play for kids somewhere or, or play or translate that to whatever. I'm not naive. I'm not going to pretend that high school kids are going to care if they've got this teacher who's going to put on a concert for them. They're not going to care. I'm just going to be the teacher. I'm not going to be a cool musician guy. But... Maybe, and maybe, maybe I can sub in band classes, you know. I have a couple years of band. I can't remember how to read music for life in me, but, you know, maybe I can bring music in that way. But if there's one way that I can introduce it, it's 
maybe I can somehow work translate it into playing for kids a little bit. Yeah. Could be I don't know, I have no idea. It's a new thought and, you know, blame Rafi, but you know. I, I blame him for many things, uh, including being awesome. Um, so tell me about the name of your album. We're gonna we're gonna add a song yeah. uh, to this. Tell us a little bit about the name and, and why why some of the tracks are on this particular album. Okay. The album is called At Last, My Dear, which sounds very poetic, but in my head it's more like At Last, Finally, Frick, because it's just taken this long. It shouldn't have taken this long. Again, life happens. Um, so it is just it is a relief to me. It's an exhale. It's finally. And, and I think I look at my wife, who's been with me for so long, and knowing that I want to do this and encourage me. And I look at my daughter, and that's a huge thing for me, is looking at my daughter and saying, man, I don't want to be 50 years old and being like, cool, Papa never followed his dreams ever. <laughs> so I, I can look at her and I can be like, hey, I did this. This is cool. So that's the album title. I also like album titles that aren't named after a track. Yeah. It, it's not a bad thing, but it's for me, I, I, want, I didn't want to name it after a track. I don't want a title track. Um, my song names kind of follow the same thing. Sometimes they are from the song, but sometimes they're more about... I, I like song names that aren't necessarily the first line in the chorus. Um, on the album is an interesting mix. Um, very, you know, alternative indie pop rock kind of sound. Uh, definitely a bit of a 90s influence to it, because that's where I come from. And you have a song on there, for instance, that I wrote in 1998 with my very first band and I've held on to it because I felt it's a good song and it deserves to be recorded and that's track two Melancholy Green and it turned out really well we actually did a music video for it cool um, and that's you know on YouTube and on the website and we had uh, some female vocals added into it as well because the original singer was a female and so I did the lead on this one but we threw in the, the female backing vocals and it just sounded it sounds beautiful and then I've got various songs like a lot of the core of the songs some of the songs were written when I was living in a basement suite in the Garneau area I wrote, I think, about three of those songs there. Probably Garnet Forest and Glory, Glory, Amen. And Hey, Graceful. And then I wrote a couple songs a couple years before that when I was living in Kelowna. Which is interesting because I think they're some of the brightest songs on the record, but Kelowna was the worst year in half of my life. It was hell. So I've got these beautiful, bright songs like Holly Go Lately and Red Eye Lullaby that come out of that. But meanwhile, I'm going through just, you know, emotional destruction. So whatever. And one of the tracks I wrote for my brother's wedding in... 08. I wrote it literally like the day of or two days before or something and you know it's that's track three true love and it's fun it's one of the more rocking tunes it's kind of a bluesy rocker and then uh, and then there's another track on the album that I wrote one in Abbotsford and then one track I wrote three weeks before I recorded so it's legitimately like 98 2003 2005 2006 2008 and it's just kind of it's all these things and somehow it hangs together Partially because, you know, we recorded all at once. That helps. Yeah. You know, similar yeah. guitar tones. Um, and we joked during the recording that we should just call it Ryan Rowe Best Of. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's my greatest hits in my head. You know, these are, I felt, the best tracks out of, you know, the dozens and dozens of tracks, demos on, on iTunes and GarageBand I've got. These were, to me, the ones that I really, I felt these were the best ones. You know, there's a few other tracks we thought about putting on. We just didn't have time. So, but I also think it works out better that way, too, because it's, to me, there's very little filler. Yeah, it's about 33 minutes long, and it almost feels short because in the 90s, like every record was like 50 minutes long. But usually, there'd be like the middle of the record that was just like yeah. a bunch of stuff, you know. In the 70s, filler. In the yeah, in the 70s, records were nine songs. Like CCR records are 
they're short. Beatles records, none of them are that long. I mean, part of that's the restrictions of the limitation, but I think it made for better records. So if you can only put on that much music, I think you focus a little bit harder on making this great tunes. And I think we're seeing that come back now. People are interested in singles. People don't necessarily have the time or the attention span to listen to like an hour-long record unless it's something really they're really passionate about. So, you know, you kind of, you kind of do that. And, and, and that's what we came up with. And... Uh, I don't know, it's, it's just a weird thing. Again, it's, it's like an exhale, it's like a weight off my shoulders. And now I feel like I can maybe actually start writing new music. That's great. As opposed to sitting here... <sighs> Thinking about old music? Yeah. So it's your life, your whole lifespan, your adult life in music. It's <laughs> it fantastic. Really kind of is. Yeah. It really is. I mean, that's a weird thought, but it is. So. And where can people, uh, where can people find it online? Uh, RyanRowMusic.com and it's just R-O my last name is Rogatchnig so for art purposes it's just Ryan Rowe it's much easier and at RyanRowMusic.com you can get it on Bandcamp um, you can buy the CD or tape on Bandcamp and I will ship it to you buy the CD or limited edition cassette tape at shows as well um, but it's pretty easily accessible if you type in iTunes you'll find it there you can listen to the whole album on my SoundCloud I've got the whole website set up that it's got links to everywhere you need to be. If you use iTunes, search for it, no problem. Um, if you're in the States, you can get it on Amazon MP3, but we don't have Amazon MP3 in Canada yet. Which is weird. Which is weird, but, you know, it, it's it's on audio and last time. It's, it's, I've tried to make it accessible to people. The best places for me are buy it from iTunes or buy it from my website at Bandcamp. Good to know. That's great to know. So thank you very much for for meeting with me and for talking with me this was great it's nice to see you again yes we need to see each other more often we do and I'm, uh, I'm sad that Scott is not here but I'm also excited that Scott is off on his long delayed honeymoon yes he is cruising the Mediterranean I believe as we speak and uh, hopefully he doesn't go overboard so <laughs> so we'll talk again soon I'm sure Ryan thanks again thanks man there you have it. A great series of interviews ending off with uh, musician Ryan Rowe. Thank you to Kendrick's Fung. Thank you to Matthew Dykstra. And thank you to Ryan Rowe for agreeing to be on this phone calls and coffee shops episode of the Unknown Studio. We're going to end this episode with a song uh, that Ryan Rowe has supplied to us. And if you check our website over the next few days, you are also going to see uh, contest. We're giving away some of Ryan's music. So if you're interested in checking out a local musician, I definitely suggest you go to theunknownstudio.ca. Next episode, I'll be back in the studio with Scott C. Bourgeois, hot on the heels of his glorious vacation in the Mediterranean. It's been a pleasure, as it always is, talking at you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Cynical again Too tired To pretend That my soul Is not faded Demons past And sins unforgiven Feel this burden On my shoulders Dying slowly My prison growing colder I can never Let you in 
Green. Fell into her dream and 